Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate you guys. We're going to be in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, be finding your way there. We're going to look at the first 27 verses and then a few at the end of John chapter 11. We're going to continue our series of simply who is Jesus, right? We've been walking through this since the semester started. Um, And I can't speak for any of you, but I know I've enjoyed it. (laughs) And I think the Lord has shown me some things about himself. And that's the goal of this series is simply for Jesus to reveal more of himself to us. And so, you know, last week we talked about how Jesus is the the good shepherd, right? We looked at John 10 and that abundant life that Jesus promises when we walk through the door that he is, right? And into his sheepfold as we just sang about, right? Kind of funny how an old hymn shows up and it reveals scripture, right? Wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, right? It's taken out of this passage that we talked about last week. And so we're going to jump into John chapter 11. And like, I know it's one of those things like some people frown upon having like favorites in scripture, right? But like if we were to pick out Matt Daniels, if I was to pick out of all of the I am statements, the one we're going to explore tonight is my personal favorite. Okay. Because all of them changed the landscape of life and faith and everything as we know it, but this one especially is what sets Jesus apart from everything else, right? And what allows us the opportunity to have life, eternal life, not just life like I'm breathing and I'm here alive tonight, and thankfully I'm good that all of you are in your chair and alive, right? It would be weird if you weren't. And so this, though, is talking about eternal life and a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's really, really just so cool what we're going to see, right? And if you're familiar with John chapter 11 at all, this is the story of Lazarus, right? Everybody, anybody know who Lazarus is? You've heard the story, right? And so we're going to see, we're going to walk through it in Scripture, but basically, right, Lazarus is one of Jesus' closest friends, and he dies. And so then Jesus goes, right? And we see in John 11:35. we're not going to talk about this tonight, but, you know, you get the shortest verse in Scripture, right? If you need a verse to memorize, just take John 11:35. I'll help you out. Jesus wept. Surely you can memorize that one, right? So all of you say, hey, I want to memorize some scripture. There you go. John 11.35, Jesus wept, right? And don't be surprised. This is just like a teaser. I was looking at some stuff for the calendar and thinking ahead. We may come back to that in the spring because I think there's some really cool stuff when we think about Jesus wept, okay? But that's not for tonight. But then we see at the end, and we're going to talk about this, But let's go ahead, I know this is weird, but flip over to verse 41. Okay? And this is so good. Okay? Verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew, I knew, excuse me, that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Right? He calls on the power of the Lord. He connects it. He says, God, I want people to hear your voice. I want people to know that you sent me. So Lazarus, come out. And this dude walks out of the tent. 
And it's awesome, right? It's a miracle. But let's get to how we got there now, okay? Because that's very important that we know kind of the context of what's going on, the history behind it, their relationship, okay? Because it's all going to make sense here in a little bit. So let's read, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. I want to stop right here and give you a little bit of an appetizer. Okay, where's my appetizer, people? Come on, don't be ashamed. Like, you love a good appetizer, like some potato skin, some cheese sticks, some fried pickles. What, I mean, there's some weird stuff out there, right? Like avocados on everything now, so you can get some of that if that's your, your style, you know, right? But I want to give you just a little appetizer to what Jesus is setting up here. Look at verse 4 with me. This is Jesus. He just found out his friend is deathly sick. And he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Here's what I want you to see in this as your little appetizer, all right? This is your fried cheese stick in the mozzarella sauce. Or not mozzarella. Marinara sauce. That would be weird. All right? Let's get it right. Marinara sauce, right? Here we go. Jesus cares about your current situation, that he feels it. He wants to help. But remember, Jesus is always focused on the eternal glory more than our current sufferings. Let me say that again. Jesus is always more concerned with our future glory than our current sufferings. Because the future glory makes everything on this earth pale in comparison to it. That Paul in Acts 20 says, I consider the things of this world rubbish. I consider it trash compared to what waits for me in eternity. You understand, Jesus saying this at the beginning, before Lazarus ever dies, before Jesus ever goes and says, Lazarus, come out of the grave, He's reminding them there's bigger things at stake here. You're focused on the wrong thing. See, we get focused on the current suffering and forget the future glory. And we allow the current suffering to dictate our thoughts, to dictate our emotions, to dictate our motivations, to dictate our actions. We allow our current circumstances to cloud our calling. And our calling is to be disciples of the God who is waiting for us in a future glory. And not to just be a disciple of Him, but to be a disciple who goes and makes disciples to take them to the future glory with us. So whatever you're walking through, it's real, I know. It hurts, I know. Jesus never walks away from that. He never discredits their emotion. He just says, let me remind you of the big picture. To allow them a little help to get through the current suffering. To give them a little breath of fresh air. So that's your appetizer. That's your fresh air. Your God is sitting in heaven. He cares for you. He wants to help you. But He doesn't want you to be consumed with your current suffering. He wants you to be consumed with your future glory. Because that's what the Father is about. And that's what we have to be about. Let's continue. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
Don't you just love that detail in scripture, right? Like we just kind of talked about it, but like scripture reminds us, like Jesus loved these people. Cool little detail. Don't miss it. Verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, does anybody else find that a little weird? Jesus just found out his good friend is sick. And he just hung around for two days. Anybody ever think that's weird? Right? Like, if you ever had a friend who was, like, really sick or had a friend who had a, a relative who was sick, like a close friend. I'm talking, like, you were close. You would die for this friend. And you find that out. What did you do? You went to them, Right? Or at least you called them. You at least picked up, which obviously they didn't have the joys of cell phones. Right? But that's what we do, right? We reach out to those people when we find out they're hurting. Jesus camps out for two days. Hold on to that thought. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I love that sometimes Jesus like tries to tell us something and then we don't get it. And then Jesus just speaks to us plainly. Anybody else ever experienced that? Just me? Right? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, he tells them, hey, guys, let's go. And they're like, whoa, man, we, we just came from there and they were trying to stone you. Jesus is like, yeah, we're going to go in the daylight, son. I mean, they, they're not going to stone us in the day. They're not going to stone us in broad daylight. Let's go. Come on. Because Lazarus has fallen asleep. And that's kind of a weird way to put it, right? Like, this guy's falling asleep. If I told you, hey, Mark's falling asleep, y'all would have been like, all right, cool, he needed a nap. Right? And that's how the disciples responded. Right? Okay, well, if he's sleeping, he's going to get up. And then Jesus says plainly, hey, man, Lazarus is down. Right? So we're getting what's happening here, right? We're seeing this. And so, verse 15, And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. You know, Thomas gets the, he gets the rap of being doubting Thomas. Well, here's why, right? He says, all right, fellas, let's go to our death. They're all thinking they're going to walk into Judea and these people are just going to start flinging stones at them. When Jesus just told them, I'm going to do something to make you believe in who I am. And they say, cool, that means we're going to die. What a response. Like, are we missing something here, disciples? Like, you've been with this guy every day for a while now. This isn't like they just started following him the day before, right? I mean, we're 11 chapters into this thing. We're a while into Jesus' ministry. They've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. And yet they think Jesus is leading them to their death. Which is kind of funny, in a spiritual sense, he does lead them to death, because a lot of them die martyr deaths, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> but here, they're not seeing it that way. And here's what I think we need to understand about our situations. 
is a lot of times Jesus is calling us to go somewhere and do something, but we see it as out of our comfort zone. We see it out of outside of our plan. We see it as outside of our structure, outside of our control, and we look at it and go, that ain't going to work. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us that he says to his disciples. I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus wants to do stuff in your current situation that you can't even fathom. And a lot of you have seen God do some crazy things in your life. Those of you who are born again children of God, he's radically changed you. You've already seen one healing. Right? You've seen people in your life miraculously healed. When my sister was born, she was not supposed to go home with us. She was born with cerebral palsy. The left side of her body wouldn't even work at all, including her lungs. And you know what's on the left side of your body too, right? Your heart. It wasn't working properly. Doctors told my parents, she's not going home with you. My sister's 26 years old and marching in the Troy marching band. Partially paralyzed on the left side of her body, blowing that trumpet for the glory of the God. God does really cool things in our life. And it happened in the disciples' life, too. They've already seen miracles at this point, right? I mean, he turned the water into wine. He healed some blind people. He healed some people with leprosy. He's casted out demons. He's done five loaves and two fishes. I mean, God's done some cool stuff at this point. And what Jesus is wanting them to see is that I'm more than just a physical miracle for you. That's why he says, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because he's about to launch into some spiritual stuff that's going to rock the disciples' world and change ours. So, let us go. Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So we get the picture here, right? Lazarus is dead. And like any scene that we've ever experienced with death, right, people gather at that person's house, right? I mean, you've experienced that before, I'm sure. And so Jesus is approaching, and all of the Jews, the friends, the family, they're at the house and they're mourning, which makes sense, right? Because Lazarus is dead. There should be mourning, okay? I'm painting this picture for you because I think it's very important. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. I want to give this little side note here. When it says Mary is seated in the house, a lot of people see this as a slam, like she should have ran to Jesus. But I think what's important that I think what scripture is trying to tell us is that we all grieve in our own way. And it's not about the posture of the body. It's about the posture of the heart. Because you understand, right, in the early verses, verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, wiped his feet with her hair. Remember that story? The woman with the alabaster jar? Her heart was in the right place. Just because her body wasn't moving doesn't mean her heart wasn't in the right place. Because they sent for Jesus, right? In verse 3, the sisters, plural, Mary and Martha sent for Jesus to come because Lazarus was dying. Now he's dead and here's Jesus. Okay? But I think that's important. Just a little, I don't know. That's the side dish. That's the ketchup for the cheeseburger, I guess. We'll pick on that in a minute. Verse 20, right? So we see that Martha went to Jesus. And she says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What a response from Martha, right? Like, it's almost like you can sense a little bit of the frustration from Martha. Right? Like, she sent for Jesus. He camped out two days. It took him another two days to get there. And she's like, yo, if you had been here four days ago when I called you, when I sent that carrier pigeon, we wouldn't be in this situation. You ever been there? You ever said something like that to God before? I know I have. Like, God, if you would have done this, I wouldn't be here. Or God, if you would have answered this question this way, I wouldn't be here. But I love, right, that Martha says in verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's faith, she may be rattled emotionally. She may be rattled mentally, but her faith has not been shaken. Now, one thing she is seeking for, right, is she's seeking the physical healing of Lazarus. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus is going to want them to go deeper. Because he says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He could have stopped there and that would have been enough. But thankfully, our Jesus gives us more and more and more. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the Son of the God who is coming to the world. So you've had your appetizer out of verse 4. Let's jump into the entree and let's talk about what Jesus as the resurrection and the life actually means. Right? Because this is not anything new for the majority of you in this room. You know that Jesus is the life and you know that Jesus resurrected from the dead. You know that. Right? But I think we need to take a deep dive into what Jesus is telling us in this moment, in this context. Understand there's a few things going on here that are very, very important before we get into talking about why Jesus started with the resurrection. One, we must understand here, the people had seen Jesus do some miraculous healings and that's what they were seeking. They were seeking another miracle. But Jesus had other plans. He had bigger plans. He had spiritual heart and soul matters that he wanted to discuss. And he's going to use what we know when he says Lazarus come out, a healing, a miraculous healing, as a symbol of him bringing dead sinners to life in Jesus, in himself. Okay? Here's some other things going on. It's important that Jesus waited four days. Why? Because he was going to come up on the third day, right? But also, there was this superstition of this time that the spirit of the person would kind of hover around the body for three days. And then maybe they might really just be asleep and just took a really long nap and come back awake. They weren't really dead. They were just kind of taking a deep, heavy nap. That was kind of a superstition that they had in that day. And Jesus was aware of that. There was something about the fourth day in that time that they would seal the tombs, they would seal the graves, and that brother or sister was dead. Plus, their body was beginning to stink. Right? Because we're, we're not going to see that tonight, but later Jesus says, roll the stone away, and Martha's like, yo, Jesus, he's going to stink. Probably not wrong, but Jesus cleans up bad smells. Amen? Right? We'll catch up to that one, too. 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Understand, the first thing about this resurrection is this is a spiritual rebirth. This is a spiritual rebirth, right? That's what Jesus is saying when He says, I am the resurrection, is that I am taking those of you who are dead and lost in your sin, and there's no way out for you. You are dead in your trespasses, and I have come and I have created a way, and I'm going to die and I'm going to fulfill all the prophecies that you guys have heard, because right, He's talking to Jews. He's talking to people that have heard the Scripture that have heard the prophecies, that are searching for a Messiah. And he's saying, I'm here, and I'm your way out. I am your spiritual rebirth, and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God without going through me. Without coming to me as your Savior and saying, Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner. I am in need of your forgiveness, of your grace. Allow your blood now to wash me clean, and I will walk with you from now till eternity. This is a spiritual rebirth when Jesus says, I am the resurrection. It's not just that Lazarus is going to come back from death, but it's that you and I have the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of God forever. Hallelujah and amen for that. Because you understand without Jesus and without him not only proclaiming this, but being the literal resurrection, we have no hope. Period. And there's nothing without this that separates him from any other little g-god in the world. But this is what separates Jesus from everything, is that not only is this a spiritual rebirth, but that he is literally alive today. We don't have to go to a tomb. We don't have to pray to remains. We don't have to do all these sacrificial rituals hoping that some god out there hears us. Our god is with us. He is alive. It's an eternal spiritual rebirth that's meant to be a relationship with you and I every single day that we're on this earth. So that those of us who are reborn when we do die our literal death, we come back to life with a perfected body in His presence forever to worship Him, to praise Him, to just live in the goodness of His perfect presence. We can stop there. But there's more. Because as we just talked about, this resurrection is also for eternity. Right? Jesus says in verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You understand there is an eternity. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And there's only one way into heaven, and that's through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And it's because of the resurrection. You understand that, right? The dying on the cross, the blood is what seals our forgiveness, but the resurrection is what seals our eternity. Because not only is this for eternity, but this is victory. This is the ultimate victory. See, on this earth, we search and we seek for victories all the time. We want victories in class. We want victories in career. We want victories in relationships. We want victories in competition. We want victories in whatever. But this, my friends, is the ultimate victory. That Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day. Fully alive. Fully God. Fully man. With your victory. At stake. And when He walked out of that tomb, all He's saying is, come with me. Just like He says, Lazarus, come out. He's calling you. Come out. Some of you in this room, for the first time, you need to walk into this eternal victory tonight. And Jesus is calling your name. 
And he's saying, come out. Come out of that grave of sin. Come out of it. This is victory. This is victory. Right? I mean, we're in the middle of football season. They're pulling that off somehow, right? And people are having victories all over the place. Right? And for our volleyball student-athletes here, I hope we're playing some volleyball very soon. Right? Because we want victories. The Lions kick off Saturday at Liberty. I'd love to see them get on a plane with a win. Man, those wins don't matter in the end. Your win in your career isn't going to matter in the end. Your win in your relationships aren't going to matter in the end. And I'm not telling you those things aren't important. And I'm not telling you to not do your best in those, right? Colossians 3 tells us whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly for the glory of God. But you got to get your heart and your soul and your relationship with Jesus Christ set first because it's the only victory that matters. Because without it, you will spend eternity away from Him in Him. And I love you too much to not tell you that. To remind you of that. This is victory. This is good. Right? I shared it for those of you that are in our group meeting. If you're not in our group meeting and you want to be in it, please join us so you can keep up with what we're doing. But listen to me. I shared this. Those of us who understand this, who have a relationship, can we start living like we're victorious? Can we start walking around with our head up and our hearts out saying, I'm not perfect, and yeah, I've got stuff, and yeah, I've got burdens, and I've got pain, and I've got all of those things, but my God is victorious over all of them, and let me show you. It's time that we stop walking around like we're Eeyore and start walking around with some joy. Start walking around like there's more to this life. Because there is. There's Jesus. And the beautiful thing about this resurrection is it's not just some heaven thing that we're waiting on. We experience it now. Today. When you woke up, His mercy was new in spite of you. Man, that ought to put a smile on our face and a joy in our heart and a peace in our soul to just go through life and say, God, whatever the cost, whatever it takes, as Paul wrote in Philippians 1, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I win no matter what. And I like winning. I do, man. I love it. And I hate losing. Like when I was coaching, you didn't want to be around me when we lost. Like you just, I didn't want to talk to you. I just wanted to go be mad. Okay? I wanted to sleep it off and then the next morning I was fine. Those are momentary things that don't matter. Because I lost a lot of games coaching. Seriously. I coached for six years and had one winning season. Okay. Lost a lot of games. Things don't matter, man. This is what matters is that Jesus is the resurrection. That he has the victory over your sin, over your shame, over your guilt, and over mine in his hand. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father saying, everyone who lives in me and believes will never die. But he's also the life. I love that Jesus gives us two here. Like, hey, let me just remind you guys I'm the resurrection, and that's enough. He could stop there, and that's enough. He's done it all at that point. But he gives us more because he wants us to live an abundant life like he talked about in John 10. Right? And this goes into the context of he's about to bring Lazarus up out of the grave. Right? And so what he means by the life is he's simply the sustainer. He is the sustainer of our life. He's the one who keeps it going. He's the one who gives us what we need. 
He's the one who fills us and fuels us. We see that he's the source. When he says, I'm the life, he says, I'm the source of life. You can't have life anywhere else. You can try to search for it in this world, but it's going to let you down every single time. You can look for it in other people, and they're going to let you down every single time. Even the people that you think, oh, they'll never let me down, they're going to let you down because they're imperfect. But Jesus, the source of your life, will never let you down. Ever. And he's the literal breath. You understand in Genesis 1, when God created us, he breathed us into life. And now he's the breath in our lungs, physically, but also spiritually. He's the breath. You know what I think it means for a lot of you in this room who are believers? I think you're sitting in a grave of something. It could be the grave of a bad decision, the grave of a bad relationship, the grave of anxiety, the grave of whatever, the grave of worrying about the future. The great, you're sitting in a grave. And Jesus is trying to tell you, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember that. Remember that. And just like he's calling to the lost soul who's dead to come out, I think he's calling a lot of you to come out. He said, hey, Cam, come on out, man. Hey, Brian, come on out. Hey, Lily, come on out. Harrison, come out. Austin, come out. He's telling you, come out. For some of you, he may be just simply calling you out of your comfort zone and living into an actual disciple-making life. It's time for you to get off the bench and get on the field. For some of you, he may be calling you into full-time ministry, and that scares you to death. Guess what? Join the club. Okay? Every day when I park my vehicle in this parking lot, I am scared to death. You think I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm not. But when we understand he's the resurrection and the life, and he is the sustainer and the source and the breath. If he's calling you into something, guess what? He's going to give you everything you need for it and then some. And he's going to show up every single time. Because like we talked about when he's the door, it's the same thing here. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, guess who he saw? Some trick question. Jesus, right? Good Sunday school answer. When Lazarus came out, he saw Jesus. Guess what? If Jesus is calling you out, the first thing you're going to see is Him. The first thing you're going to experience is Him. You're going to walk in a newness that you've never experienced before. Think about Lazarus' story now. Hey, I'm the guy that got to live twice. Guess what? We're living twice. We just haven't died a physical death. But those of us who are redeemed, those of us who are restored, those of us who are renewed, it's time that we start living that lifestyle. And not just living it out, but sharing it with our mouth. Telling people, hey, I know the guy who can resurrect you from your sin. I know the guy who can resurrect you from your pain. I know the guy who can resurrect you from your shame. I think Jesus is calling a lot of us to come out. For some of you, again, it may be that you need to walk into the victory of a relationship with Jesus Christ and you need to leave your sin at the door. I think for some of you, God's calling you to give up something. Or to step out of your comfort zone. Or to simply to just love Him more. Some of us probably just needed the encouragement that our Jesus is alive. 
and he's alive in you today. And he's bigger than everything you're walking through. I promise. It may not seem like it now. And keep in mind, Jesus never tells them, hey, you shouldn't hurt. What are you hurt for? Why are you in pain? Jesus himself in verse 35 weeps. He feels the pain. Pain is a natural thing. It's God given to us. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just reminding you and encouraging that God is bigger and he's got a way out. And that way out is the resurrection and the life. Just remember that. Don't take it from me. This is the the dessert of the meal, okay? We're going to land the plane. Dessert's the best part, man. Listen, my opinion. Jesus says at the end of verse 26 to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Look at Martha's response to verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, Son of God who is coming into the world. I don't think there's any better way to sum up this passage than that simple question that you see on the screen. Do you believe this? Understand, this is not Jesus saying, do you understand? This is not Jesus saying, have you learned this? This isn't Jesus giving Martha a test. This isn't a math test, right? That you got to get all the answers right. He's saying, do you believe in your heart and in your soul? Do you believe that I am who I say that I am? So my question to you is the same. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And not just the literal forms of that, but that He's your resurrection and your life. Do you believe this? If you don't, I can't encourage you strongly enough. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's talk about it. Because this changes your life. And it changes your future. For some of you, you're Martha. Yes, I believe this. Good. Does your life show it? Do your words speak it? Or are you in a spiritual grave yourself? And Jesus is standing at the door saying, come out. Some of your versions may have said, come forth. I think some of you need to take a big step tonight of faith. You need to go forward to Jesus who's standing outside the tomb with open arms. And when you walk out, he's going to tell his angel army, unbind them. Undress them. Take those grave clothes off because they don't need them anymore. Some of you are walking dead in your sin. You don't need that anymore. Jesus wants to cover you with him, with his clothes of righteousness, his robe of righteousness, so that when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus Christ. Glory, hallelujah. But for some of you, you're walking in some kind of bondage and Jesus wants to take that off of you and remind you you're wearing His robe of righteousness. He wants to give you that resurrection and the life. So do you believe this? So we're going to give you some time to do some business with God. I'll be right down here if you need me. Come talk to me. Be right here at the bottom of these steps. 
I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. Brian's in the back of the room. Go see him. He'll talk to you. Maybe you just need to sit in your chair and pray. You need to hit your knees. You need to stand and sing. Brian's going to lead us in a song. You can sing. You can pray. You can hit the floor. But whatever it is that you know you need to do, as you've heard Jesus say, come out. Come on out. Just come on out. Father, we love you. This time is yours. We are yours. Father, I pray if there's any students here that need you, for the first time in their life, they've heard the gospel and they know they need to be saved. Father, I pray this is the time. God, I pray that they are so bold that they give their life to you, understanding that they're a sinner. And understanding they don't need me, they don't need anybody else, they just need you. But they can say it right there in their chair, God, I'm a sinner, save me. Father, I pray if they want some conversation on that, that they'll ask. Father, I also know that there's some believers in this room that are walking in bondage. And they're walking around bitter. They're walking around angry. They're walking around anxious. They're walking around so clouded, God, and the enemy has done his best to try to slow them down and steal their joy. And God, I know you're standing at the open door of that grave saying, come out, my son. Come out, my daughter. God, I pray they leave those grave clothes behind and they start walking in joy because, Father, I do believe that you are preparing your people for a great revival. And so, Father, start right here in this room with us. Change our hearts. Change our souls. Bring us out of our graves, Father, and take us out of our grave clothes so that we can go and tell someone that you are the resurrection and the life. So, Father, this time is yours as we do business with you. It's in your name that I pray. Gone. My chains are gone. 
I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing for you to do but to come out. Don't allow Satan to tell you something else. Don't leave here without doing business with God. If you need to talk to me, come talk to me. My wife's here for you ladies. If you need to talk to her, grab her. I'm capable of playing with Luke for a little while so y'all can have a hard part. Yes, I think I am. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. I hope you know that. I hope you're walking in that. And I hope you're ready to lead people to the resurrection and life of Jesus Christ. Because the time is now. The time is now for us to do that. Stop waiting. Let's be Martha. Let's go. Let's go get it. Let's be Mary. Maybe we got to sit and soak it all in. But the beautiful thing is at the end when Lazarus comes out, she's there to untie the grave clothes. She was ready to go to work when it's time. Let me pray for you one more time. And as we pray, and I just want to give you, if you just want to be so honest and say, Matt, I just need you to pray for me. Whatever it is. If that's you, just slip your hand. 
I'm not gonna call you. You just say, man, I just need some prayer. Heart's heavy. Oh, Jesus. Whatever it is. Thank you.